Happy Easter, everybody. Welcome to Panton Community Baptist Church. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, my name's Travis. Uh, I'm one of the pastors uh, here. Effectively, effectively, effectively? Think of the word I want to use here. Affectionately referred to as the Tweedledum of Eric's Tweedledee. So Eric and I share responsibilities of pastoring here. I welcome you to the Panton Church. Uh, church, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Let's try that again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Uh, we gather together this morning to celebrate uh, not simply the coming of spring, although we really welcome the sunshine and warmth. I'm not going to lie. That's not the reason we come together. Uh, nor do we come together to celebrate the cuteness of children in their pastel best, although it is pretty sweet. Uh, being a parent of little ones this time of year is awesome. They're just so cute. Uh, that's not the main reason we come together. We come together to celebrate and remember the singular most important event that history has ever known. That is why we are here this morning. The quintessential Christian doctrine and truth. We gather together to celebrate the simple yet glorious truth that Jesus is alive and well. He is reigning and ruling currently at the right hand of the Father. We celebrate the fact that the cold and damp tomb could not hold Him. We celebrate the fact that in Jesus our sins are forgiven. And the death that was ours because of sin has been traded in life and life eternal because He walked out of that tomb. That is what we celebrate this morning. That is Easter. Uh, in fact, the Apostle Paul would write this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. He says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in, according, in accordance with the Scriptures. I love that. The glorious gospel story of Jesus, His coming in flesh to redeem us from the sin that leads to eternal damnation in the fires of hell. He took our sins upon His shoulders and nailed them to the cross. What a thought that is, friends. That with every swing and every pound of the hammer, every bang on that wooden beam that pinned our Savior Jesus there. Every swing and every hit was an act of redemption. Dying and with every inhale and every strain, He hung and died for you and for me. His life snuffed out on that cross. In effect, dying to offer us life. And then, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, and then, not only did he die, it doesn't end there, the chief element of the gospel, he arose. And the grave could not hold him. He stepped out from behind that stone and with him the glorious hope of life, friends. That is what we celebrate. The glorious gospel of Jesus that offers you and I life. And life eternal. Paul would write further on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says this, And if Christ had not been raised, 
your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What a thought, Christian, this morning. There is no power in the cross apart from the resurrection. What a powerful thought that is. There's no power in the cross apart from the resurrection. There's no power in the gospel without the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we might as well pack this whole building up and just go home. That's the truth. Without resurrection, all of this is meaningless. But with the resurrection, there is hope. There is life. There is forgiveness of sins. Christians, say it with me. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Uh, This morning, I want to take this truth, this truth of the resurrection, uh, and for a moment, I want to be very serious. I want to get very serious with us this morning. And I want to present to you what may be to some uh, an uncomfortable truth. Honestly, I couldn't stand here as I was praying through and thinking through this message. I realized I couldn't stand here in this place on this day and simply fill us with some cute little antidotes. As we celebrate Easter, as we celebrate the resurrection, these truths have drastic implications. Drastic implications in regards to the resurrection of Jesus. Implications that hold both heaven and hell in the balance. And friends, if you can hear but one message in your entire life, if you can hear but one message in the entirety of your church experience, this one's for me, I pray it's this one. If you hear but one message in your entire life of church, if it's the first time you've ever come to church or you've been in church since the time you were in diapers. Eric's headed in the diapers again. He's getting pretty old. If you hear but one message, I pray it is this one. This is what has kept me awake several nights in a row thinking about the importance of this. It's not a moment to be trite and humorous and and honestly, in stark contrast to the wishy-washy of our relativistic moment. I want to assert this, that heaven is real and hell is very real. And what we do with this specific message on this specific morning in April 2018 will have drastic implications on your eternity, friends. I'm going to get serious for a few minutes. I implore you as your friend, your neighbor, your pastor, to leave all distractions out there, maybe the fact your ham's burning, or all the chocolate in your little basket, leave it all out there and open your eyes to the brevity of this moment right now. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning joyous over the fact of the life of Jesus. That not only did he take on flesh, not only was he crucified, not only did he die for our sins, but that he rose again, offering us life. This morning I pray your truth rings forth in our hearts, that we would bring you glory, bring you worship, 
that we would fall before you and praise your name through Jesus. Amen. So before we turn to our text, we're actually going to be in Romans this morning, Romans chapter 8. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Before we do that, uh, let me start by saying that the goal of what I want to do here this morning, and it might sound a little weird, but here's my goal for us this morning, okay? My goal is this, that I want to divide us in order to unite us. Okay, I'm going to make sense of that in a minute. I want to, I want to, two things, I want to divide us and I want to unite us. You with me? I want to divide and I want to unite. I want to divide us into two groups with the hope that the division will lead to unity, and here's what I mean by that. For the Christian, there are not innumerable people groups and geopolitical boundaries with multiple nations and kingdoms. For the Christian, ready, here's a great truth. For the Christian, there are but two distinct groups of people. Those who know Jesus by grace through faith and those who do not. That's it. Those are two groups of people. And he, all the population of the entire world, those who know Jesus by grace through faith and those who do not. In our audience this morning, I guarantee that both groups are well represented and honestly, both are welcome. Both are welcome this morning and encouraged to be here. Join us and participate. Whether you know Jesus and you're a Christian or you don't know Jesus, you've never been in church a day in your life, You're welcome here this morning. And as we dig into our text in a few minutes here, uh, I want to clearly address both groups. I want to walk through Romans chapter 8 with you and address the Christians in the room, the implications of the gospel, the implications of the resurrection, and I also want to address those of you who do not know Jesus. I want to be very serious with you this morning and very clear. And the goal, the the overarching goal of this whole thing is to divide us with the hope that those who do not know Jesus will come to know him and unite with the others that do. That's our goal. Sound good? You with me? That's our goal. So Romans chapter 8, if you would turn there with me. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse 1, we read, the Apostle Paul writes this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, 
are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him And here's our resurrection. You ready? Here's why we celebrate Easter. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Paul presents us with three thoughts in this verse uh, with differing implications depending on which group you find yourself in this morning. As I said, each thought as we walk through will be addressed to Christians and non-Christians. And honestly, I've I've prayed for gentleness and meekness this morning, and and I beg you to see my heart in the next few minutes. Uh, It might get a little hard, it might get a little uncomfortable, but trust me. It's not I don't have a heart out to get any of you, but rather a heart burden for you. And I guess in that sense, maybe I am out to get you. From a Christian perspective. So here we go. Uh, Thought one, we look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. Thought one is going to occur. Here's your basic outline. You ready? This is great. Uh, Thought one occurs in verses 1 through 4. We have thought two is going to come out of verses 5 through 10. And then thought three is going to come out of verse 11. Are you with me? Thought one, verses 1 through 4. Thought two, verses 5 through 10. And thought three, verse 11. And with that said, let's look at thought number one. And here's what it is. Thought number one in verses one through four is this. Uh, Freed to life or enslaved to death. So for the Christian, verses one through four, what does this mean for us as Christians? Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the Christian here this morning, there is no more condemnation towards you from God. Amen? Do you know that this morning? There's no more condemnation. We know that from Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. We know that the wrath of God that was directed at you for your sinfulness and your unrighteousness has been satisfied in Jesus, through Jesus. Christian, there's no condemnation for you this morning. You of all people have the responsibility to just revel and love Easter. You should be ecstatic this morning. There's no more condemnation for you. We see from the text as well, there's now freedom. Where once there was enslavement to your sinful and evil urges rooted in selfishness that ultimately resulted in not just physical death, but eternal death in a very real place called hell. There is now freedom to live empowered by the Spirit, righteously and selflessly, ultimate resulting in life and life eternal. We see that from the text here. 
We also see for the Christian there's now strength. Where once there was unrelenting habit to perform and strive to attain peace with God, there is now the glorious truth of rest. He has done the work and has done the work fully. It's the whole point of Jesus. He did the work. There is rest from human performance and exertion and reliance upon the glorious work of Christ on your behalf. For the Christian thought one, we are freed to life. For the non-Christian here among us. And let me caveat that by saying, I've only been walking with Jesus for 10 years. I'm 31, so I know full well a few decades of living outside of the gospel of Jesus. So my heart resonates with you. Here's a difficult truth that comes out of Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. For those who do not know Jesus, we read this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. This for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know Romans 6, 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Here's what Romans 8, verse 1 means For individuals who do not know Jesus, there is condemnation. There is wrath. There is coming a day when what is done in the dark will be revealed. There is coming a day when your sin of pride and arrogance, the little fling you had with your coworker, the resentment stored up in your heart every time you've raised your fist and proudly resounded, there is no God. And friends, I, if you're here this morning and don't know Jesus, listen, I, I speak again, not as one removed. I speak as one who's fully human, who knows full well the taste of worldly pre- pleasures. Friends, I, I speak as one who knows the rush and the push of drugs. I know the, the thrill of a sexual, lustful release. I know it. I've been there. I also know what hopelessness feels like and the fear of having to outrun and hide from past mistakes and the truth that comes out of Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 is this thought that, friends, you cannot outrun God. No matter how hard we try. Now thought two. Paul writes in verses 5 through 10, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. For the Christian this morning, thought number two, here's the idea The big idea of the thought is mindset on the flesh versus mindset on the spirit. For the Christian, for those of you that are in Jesus, 
There is now a mind set on the things of God. We know that from Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 8, where it talks about having the mind of Christ. We know for the Christian there was once a life lived from a mind rooted in self-pleasure and self-advancement. There is now a life lived from a mind rooted in the mortification. That means the, the slaying of self, the, the, of your flesh. Putting to death of sinful desires and the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus with you as a servant. That means there's, there's now a mind set on the things of God. And for the Christian, there is now peace. There's now peace. Where once there was a spirit of self-preservation and striving to attain earthly goods. And this proving to be grasping at the wind. There is now rest and assuredness that he will take care of his children. Now, now, to be very clear, most times this provision may not necessarily be what we want, right? But I can assure you that it will always be what we need. A steak may not appear on your doorstep, Albert, but I bet you a little aluminum pan aziti probably will. Might not be T-bone, but you might get dented tan store pasta, and that's okay. For the Christian, there's a mindset in the things of God. There's peace, and there is belongingness. We know this from 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, where it says, Beloved, he, says, he calls us God's children. Where once there was a great unknown of uncertainty in the coldness of not fitting in, where once there was a striving to keep up with the Joneses, there is freedom now in being known by the God of the universe for the Christian. We see that in verses 5 through 10. Christian, you're not only loved by the God of the universe, you are liked by him. Let that resonate with you. You belong to him. And for the non-Christian, here's what verses 5 through 10 mean. There's a mind that is just consumed only with self. A performing to earn and attain more. A life rooted in selfishness that leads to despair as you go from one trick to another in a grand attempt to find yourself. Anyone know what I mean by that? This leads to more and more frustration as you perform and strive and pursue the best that you can be. And yet, it's so easy to wake up early in the morning and look at yourself in the mirror and say, wow, if they only knew what I was like. Constant trying to outrun of self. And the truth quickly becomes you can't outrun you. Contrary to popular wisdom, you're not good enough, smart enough, and strong enough, and you know it deep down. There's freedom in that. I know that. I'm not good enough, smart enough, strong enough, and I know it deep down. Back to Romans 6, 23, we read, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Meaning this, that the greatest thing that you could ever attain is free. And you can't earn it. You can't merit it. I plead with you, stop running. For the non-Christian, not only is there a mind that is consumed only with self, there is turmoil and there is toil. There is nothing but the cold pursuit of the fickleness of the stuff of this earth. A seeking to comfort and console the vapor that is your life. You are the provider and herein lies the problem. You're not very good at it. 
You can't stay the decay. New gadgets will inevitably crash or light on fire in your pocket. IRAs are probably going to close. Vehicles will need new engine. Ladies, parts of your body are going to begin to sag, and men, your backs are going to get weaker. You can't stay the decay. And thirdly, for the non-Christian, there is deep loneliness. We see that in Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 10. That there tends to be a mistrust of all people, that deep down you know that everyone is out to get you. Perhaps there's a tension in every relationship of you having to be at least a little bit better than those you're friends with. There's a fear of being found out and a fear of your weaknesses being leveraged against you. And where there's an appearance of strength, there abounds an utter insecurity when you're alone and in the dark. Does that resonate with anybody? Especially that, that last part, that idea of an utter insecurity when alone and in the dark. And the truth is this, you can't outrun the reality of your sinfulness. No matter how hard you try, how hard you try to pretty it up and make it look really good, you can't. We read this in Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is one who acknowledges your weaknesses and loves you to the extreme, regardless of how much you fail. There's good news in that. There's good news in confronting the insecurities where you look yourself in the mirror and you know who you are when you lay down at night. You know who you are when your spouse falls asleep before you do. You know who you are when you finally take your earbuds out and you shut the music off and you stop trying to fill your head with noise so you don't have to wrestle with your inner demons. And Jesus says, I got that, bro. Third thought, and we're going to end here shortly. Third thought in Romans chapter 8 comes in verse 11. It says that the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. For the Christian here this morning, there is life because he is alive. In 1 Corinthians, again, go ahead and turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes this in verse 17 through 19. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied for the Christian. Let's reverse that verse and realize this, that since Christ has been raised, your faith is valid and thriving. Your sins have been paid for and they're done away with. 
Therefore, we should not be pitied, but envied, because this isn't all that we have. This isn't our own little kingdom, and then once we die, it's all gone. For the Christian, we have eternity and a kingdom that's unshakable and a king who's wonderful. And we have hope not only for this life, but for eternity. He is risen. But for the non-Christian, There is life because he is alive. You can have hope in the present knowing that who you are in the dark has been forgiven. Every sin, every ounce of shame, every painful event both directed at you or caused by you is redeemable. Resurrection proclaims nothing less than that, that you are redeemable. You are not too far gone. Believe me, if I can stand here, let's be honest for a minute, if I can stand here and speak to you this morning as a child of God, then I'll tell you this, that anybody can be redeemed. If this sexually immoral, drug-addicted, shyster of a man could be redeemed, friend, you can be too. He is risen. I'm going to look at Romans chapter 6 as we close. For the Christian. Romans chapter 6. What does this all mean then? For the Christian, Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 14, in the power of the resurrection, in the meaning of Easter, what does it mean for you as a redeemed child of God, as a Christian? Romans 6, verse 12 through 14. Let no sin, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. For the Christian, the implication of Easter is this. Live for Jesus. Live as one redeemed. Live as the one who has hope. Live a life of righteousness. You've been set free. Walk like it. You're a Christian. And for the non-Christian, I, I, just, I make my appeal to you with a couple more verses. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 13, we read this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confessed and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I implore you with this thought, would you believe this morning? Would this Easter Sunday in 2018 be the day that you trade in all of your sorrow and all of your purposelessness, 
All those silly pursuits to try meaning and to fulfill some longing in your soul, would you trade that in and return receive life in Jesus? Friend, there is hope for you. And I love verse 12 of Romans 10. It says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. There's no distinction between peoples. There may be some here who sit atop the mountain of wealth and earthy stuff, and there may very well be some of you who sit here at the bottom of that pile, and the gospel of Jesus says there's hope for you. To the most educated and philosophically articulate, to the one who struggles simply to read, there is hope for you. Would you believe in the risen Jesus? I implore you. As one who has been there, as one who has tasted of the pleasure of this world, I can tell you this, they don't satisfy and they cannot satisfy. And there's only one who can satisfy. There is only but one fountain that will quench that thirst that you have in your soul. There is but one who can meet and mediate the deepest desires of your heart, the risen Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. And I pray this morning would be the morning that, number one, that you see the world is clearly divided into two groups. That you would see it as Christian and non-Christian, and that, two, some of you would leave the empty and hollow life and believe in Jesus. And would this morning be a morning of unification for you when you identify with Jesus and his church? He is risen. Uh, would you pray with me? Uh, Father God, we praise you for your grand rescue plan. We praise you for the redemption we have in Jesus. We praise you for the life we have in Jesus as the risen Lord. You are incredible. We love you. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.